Real quick, before you, before you uh, uh, sit down, look at somebody and say, summer's over, and <laughs> grab a seat. That's depressing. Almost over. Come on. Look at somebody else and say, you got a few days left. Make it count. Uh, every, uh, every year going back into the fall semester, school semester, we... We do a back-to-school prayer moment, and so we just want to take a minute, and I, I like to just pray a prayer of blessing and, and belief and partner together as a family uh, for those that are school educators, um, school administration, teachers, uh, principals, students. So, so anybody in, the, in the, that sphere of influence, if you're a student getting ready to go to another grade, college, PhD, high school, middle school, if you're in here, if you're a teacher or some type of educator or in that system, would you just stand up and let me pray for you going back to school? Just back to, listen, we need prayer. You need prayer. You guys are on the front lines of, of, uh, of what God's doing. Come on, the greatest mission field in our nation is our school systems. Let's pray for these guys real quick. Would you just join your faith with me as we pray a prayer? Father, we thank you so much for your your purpose and your direction, God. We know that athletes make 31 million a year and these people should, these teachers should, these administrators should, God. I ask you to meet them in every, in every need this year, God, going into this semester, every student plan, every study plan, every, every bit of uh, uh, their, their syllabuses and the agendas for the year, their classroom supplies. God, I pray no teacher in this room would go without supplies, whatever they need. Lord, a church, uh, their family right here could help and supply that, Lord, you would take care of every need. I pray for wisdom, God, in our schools. I pray for wisdom in our students' lives, that they're making decisions that are key and pivotal decisions for their life, that no plan of hell could, could devise against them, no plan of hell could get them off track. That, Lord, no decision uh, from the enemy would come across their mind, would take root or take effect in their path or their journey. That you would surround them with wise friends and godly people and godly influences and, and youth pastors and pastors and Christian leaders and Christian friends, God, and godly people. Lord, I thank you for teachers and, and those that could encourage them and their faith could be a light to, to some dark places, God. I thank you for the spirit of wisdom to rest on every person that's standing in this room. Lord, just wisdom, God. I thank you for wisdom in this fall semester. I pray for miracles. I pray for a move of the Holy Spirit in everything that they touch, God. A revival for our nation, a revival for our city, God. Safe havens in our schools. Lord, we rebuke every demonic plan for destruction, death, and disease. And we thank you for the spirit of heaven to bring life and life more abundant, Jesus. We love you and we give you glory and honor and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I'm so thankful for you guys and just what you do in our schools. We're gonna look at a little quick video. We got about a six minute video. We just came from Cuba as a missions team. And, and this is my prayer. Next year, I hope 20 of us go. Come on, I hope there's more people going next year. And some of you men need to step up next year. Come on, we had a lot of ladies on the trip. And uh, the trip's not that expensive, like 1,200 bucks. Come on, y'all spend that on Starbucks in a year. You know what I'm saying, somebody? And so uh, we, we, we just uh, believe God um, for a, a, a church that's on fire for missions. And I'm going to share with you after this video where the team, some of the team's going to share with you. They're here today. They're going to share just a little bit of the impact of Cuba on their heart. And I'm going to share about just my heart for missions in our house. Check this video out real quick. Cuba, 
everybody that's come down to be a part of the Surge Missions trip, to get connected with Surge churches that we've been planting throughout Havana and the area here. We've planted many, many churches, but this week we've been able to visit quite a few different churches and work with them with the kids, with the youth, with the services, do some outreach. Some of the things that some of these local churches don't do on a regular basis or have ever done just because of the condition of the country here and just the sensitivity. So uh, being able to go out and encourage them to go out has been a great blessing. The team has been great, giving testimonies, preaching, singing, the whole nine yards. It's not like ours. I mean, this country is amazing. It's awesome. Their worship is powerful. That's some of the stuff that I want to take back with. It's just the mindset that they have. You know, that all the, the effort and every, all the energy they put in to worshiping Jesus, to being thankful for everything that he does. This is what I want to bring back. We talk about we're a front row culture. We talk about we worship and we're a crazy church. We ain't nothing like I've seen here. They are worshiping like it's the last thing that they have left. And I'm telling you, that's how we need to worship because truly Jesus is the last thing that we have left. If we can bring back some of this energy, that's what we need to see. It's the love of the people. People love Jesus and they love us. So they're truly showing what the love of Jesus looks like. That's what amazes me about Cuba. That's what amazes me about this trip. I'm so thankful that I went on it. Great team is with us. We're all learning so much together and we're going to be ready for next time. if we didn't take family photos. Learn the Cuban's first English word. Lose a banana eating contest. Played a new game. Had a balloon fight. Learn why we actually are called gringos. Saw a 400-year-old tradition in action. Ate Cuban food. All right, Jews, show us what you got. Oh, my gosh, Cuban pizza. Did a little bit of dancing. Say hey. 
Beach day. Finally. Took a dip in Earth's pool. Relived an outcast favorite. a pig, saw a baby, a fruit one, discovered a dungeon. Jada is taking a week of faith. Y'all, at this point, we went into a cane. We want all 50 yeah. Pose for the gram, hit them angles, and another one. Truly giving new life, a nueva vida, to some people who, just like us, need a little bit of Jesus. This is... Cuba. Come on, give it up for Jesus in Cuba. <laughs> it was an awesome trip. And uh, what, what, what was amazing, I, I think uh, one of the places we were worshiping, um, the guy said, we worship like this is, it's because this is all we have to give to God. Because this is why we praise this way. And uh, same guy, and I don't know if I'm going to steal some of y'all's stories, but uh, the same guy, uh, three times the Cuban government's come to bulldoze his church. And um, those times, they took the men, women, and children and the leaders and all surrounded and locked arms and said, you'll have to kill us. Amen. <laughs> and we get, we, get, we get offended if we get scheduled three times to serve in a month. <laughs> I'll go ahead and turn it over to these awesome ladies and hear from them about what Cuba meant to them. <laughs> They're going to take three minutes each, and if they go over, I'm going to take the mic from them. They learned that in Cuba. It's not about you. That's what I learned in Cuba. As I was packing up, I heard the Holy Spirit, clear as day, say it's not about you. I was trying to make sure I looked cute, looked fly, had all my clothes ready to go, packed all my hair products. I was ready. And then I real life heard the Holy Spirit say, it's not about you. There we go. So I went back to the drawing board, packed up half a suitcase of clothes that I could give away as soon as I hit the island just miles away off the coast of Florida. I packed stickers, candy, puzzles, games, freebies that I'd receive on the job that were just sitting around collecting dust in my house because my instructions were to remember that it's not about myself. When we served in Cuba, despite of how imperfect my Spanish was, how frizzy and messed up my hair was, how tired my feet were, how hoarse my voice was, I had to constantly remind myself of the simple instructions that I had received before stepping on an island to evangelize, that it was not about me. And that's a hard pill to swallow because of the society that we live in is so self-centered. It's focused about the next Instagram post, the next Facebook post, what so-and-so's kids are doing on social media, and the fashion trends, the whole night. But we have to remember that at the end of the day, it's never really about us because it's all about Jesus. 
in the same way that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, in the same way that Hosea didn't want to marry Gomer, it's never really about the person that God actually gives the instructions to because there's always a reason for God's instructions. And that reason might not have anything to do with you. It's always about the glory that God is going to give you once you are actually obedient to those instructions. And sure, we will learn from the experience that we've gained, the instructions that we've received from God, the actions that we take, the disobedience that we often contemplate, and prayerfully, the obedience that we will actually step into and walk into. But at the end of the day, it's about the hearts and the lives that we will touch once we've taken ourselves out of the equation. It's always about the contact that we will make with other people, people that we might not ever see again. You'll never know where they, where they ended up, how their story turned out, but what you will know is that you made a difference all because you followed the instructions that you received from the Holy Spirit. You see, the easy thing to do is often the selfish thing to do. But when God gives you instructions and you fail to act on those instructions, you've added yourself to the equation rather than subtracting yourself out of the equation and allowing God's grace to actually multiply and prosper and fulfill in that instance. You see, when we're selfless, we reflect the selfless quality of Christ. And when you follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit without selfishness, you can follow, you can find yourself completing a selfless act for a future of someone that will often, that will often have a future with a selfless God. So what are some things in your life that you need to sit back and look and say, hmm, it's not about me. Will you choose to be selfish and disobedient or selfless and follow Christ? Because remember, at the end of the day, it's not about you. <laughs> I insisted that I wasn't going to go first because I didn't want to, but maybe I should have gone first. Uh, <laughs> okay, so y'all, I learned a couple different things over this trip, but one of the biggest is that God works in really funny ways. Uh, the past couple months, he's been talking to me, and I've kind of been blowing it off because I was like, surely that message isn't for me. That's not mine. There is no way that's for me. And then what he did was he removed me from all of my distractions here. I had no internet down in Cuba. There was no Snapchat, no Instagram, no text messages. That was rough. Uh, I couldn't show up at Maddie's house and gossip to her. There was nothing to do. And so while we were there, there were, there were a lot of little kids. We saw them on the video. And what I found was that they really looked towards me and Jude and Levi as influencers. So a lot of the time I found that they wouldn't take action. They weren't, they didn't really want to engage with us because we're not speaking their language. They don't know who we are. We just showed up in a big old blue bus with games and balloons. And it took them a couple minutes. They saw, they had to see Levi dancing with them. They saw Chelsea playing soccer. And then that's when they decided that they wanted to engage with us. So what I really got from God was that as Christians, our actions are really important because we have people looking up to us, especially as someone young. I'm in college right now, and I know I don't want to listen to what my parents have to say. I don't want to listen to all the adults, and I found that the little kids didn't really either. 
they, they didn't really look to my dad or Pastor Jamie to be like, oh, look at them. They're having fun. I'll have fun too. They looked at Chelsea and Jalisa and some of the younger ones, and they're like, oh, I guess it is kind of cool that we're worshiping like that. So I really learned that God's, God wants us to act and that without action, the younger generation will never get into motion. right that's my sister (laughs) um there is one thing that I can say they call it transformation for a reason and um (laughs) I don't know if I can get through this Whenever I was there, um, God kept saying, it's my, this is my plan, this is my plan. I even done one of my testimonies on how God had used me for somebody else's plan while I was there. And so, this might take a little bit longer, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and so, um, a few years ago, I went through um, a divorce, and um, I found myself on my knees many, 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 many lonely nights. Um praying for a family and praying for, praying for restoration. And um, I was visiting different churches, going different places. And about a year and a half ago, God put me here. And I had a lot of different excuses as to why I wasn't getting really plugged in. And my heart, it was hard. And um, I tried, but it just didn't work out. I didn't really try. Right. I, I tried, but I didn't really try. And so um, I became too busy. And then um, as soon as I heard about the Cuba trip, I knew I'm supposed to go. God said, you're supposed to go. And so I said, okay. And I kept, throughout this time, I knew, I was like, you know, God doesn't conform to my plan, but he'll probably conform to this one, right? Or he'll conform to this one, so I'd make a new plan. And so now I've came to the conclusion that the transformation is that your real fulfillment becomes whenever you begin to conform for God's purpose. We got really close to our group, and, and I haven't had that because I wasn't plugged in. And I have new brothers and sisters. I have a new family. And God woke me up from sleep, and he said, you know that family you were praying about? I gave you that. <laughs> If you're not plugged in, get plugged in. God's doing big things. I felt the Holy Spirit like I'd never felt it before. There was a revival in Cuba. We brought it back with us. And it's going to be good. So make a transformation. Come on, give it up for these guys. Going around the world. 
Just got a few minutes. Uh, it was an amazing trip. And I, I just, again, people say, well, why go around the world? Why do missions? Um, well, you know, there's plenty of need in our, back, in our backyard right here in Knoxville, plenty of need in, in Appalachia, plenty of need. And it's true. I mean, we're praying for El Paso this morning. You know, I mean, you know there's, there's pain and hurt and need all over the planet. You know, and so I just, I just want to share just my heart a little bit, just a couple little thoughts on missions. And um, it was an amazing trip. Some of the video you saw where we went through that blue gate where we were moving those boulders uh, about two and a half hours. You don't understand how hot it is. <laughs> you just don't even, I mean, like, you, you, even you sell the Cuban sweating. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and so, I mean, it is so hot. You go through about three outfits a day just from just being drenched head to toe. Um, drinking water that's barely safe, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's you're on the edge of not sure how well you feel the whole trip. So it is selfless. You're you're just you don't feel good. You're you're you're, you're giving your life away. But that place where we were uh, going through that little blue gate, moving those boulders, we went and about ten of us moved those boulders for about two and a half hours. Um, they were about 200 pound, 300 pound boulders. We were we were flipping those. And, by the, and we came back to do a service there that night, and the men had finished a wall with the boulders that we just rolled down the hill and barely got to where they were. And we're like, oh, my gosh. Then they, they, had, it, they had it done. That's where they had surrounded the, the church, and we're going to destroy that church three times and uh, the way they praised. But, but, but right outside of those gates, there was uh, pretty much these kind of – it was like the, the projects, really, of Cuba. It was like the, wor- the, the worst – you know, apartment complexes, you could, you could be the worst part of town. Uh, and a lot of the, you know, the islands that way. So there's not, there's a big gap in, in just equality and whatnot. And so, um, and in those complexes, there was 100,000 people living. 100,000 people, right? And, and, and just the way these guys were going about reaching them and, and reaching the person uh, right across the street. And then they were so thankful for us to be there helping them, infusing some life into what they were doing. Um, so really, missions is, is not really just about going to another nation. Just get in your mind. It could be right across the street. probably is, right? And uh, here, here's a couple thoughts. Here's a title for today if you're taking titles down. Um, what's moving the needle? What's moving the needle in our life? What's moving the needle? Uh, about 2,000 years ago, the compass was invented. And uh, ever since the compass has been invented, it's been helping lost souls find their way home, been helping lost people get to where they were going or people on a journey figure out how to get there. And here's the reason why, because if you have a compass in your hand, then you have direction for your life. If you have a compass in your hand, you have direction for your life. You kind of know where you're going. The largest um, compass rose that was ever built, a compass rose is this. If you look at a, at, a, at a compass, you have one on your iPhone, you can pull it up. If you look at a compass, you've got the, the, the circular uh, compass, and then you have north, south, east, and west. Those are the, the cardinal directions, uh, north, south, east, and west, and they make up something called the compass rose. When you look at it, uh, the intersection looks like kind of like a rose. It's called the compass rose. The largest compass rose ever uh, built was at Edwards Air Force Base. Drew, you're probably familiar with it. Edwards Air Force Base in California. It's a mile in diameter. Diameter, not circumference, a mile in diameter. I think we have a picture of it for you. It's 4,000 feet across. Look at that. That's from that's from space. That's from Google Earth, probably or space. That's or a high a high photo. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> I mean, four four thousand feet across in diameter, a mile in diameter, and, and it's the, it's actually it's the biggest one on the planet. 
Um, it, it, it set the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, the, lar- the longest runway is at, Air For- at Edwards Air Force Base, and it's there um, when the shuttle would land back in the United States. That's the, the runway it used uh, when the shuttle was in, in, in effect. And so this, this thing is the biggest on the planet. And the Guinness Book of World Records and all that, you know, whoop-de-doo. Who cares? Who cares if it's just big to be big? It's not big to be big. It's big for a purpose. And so, so the way they position this compass, they position it right next to the emergency uh, runway, the emergency landing runway. So all the rockets that are tested there and all the airplanes that are tested there, many times they don't know if a pilot's coming back in disoriented or coming back in and there's engine failure, coming back in from any direction and they might have lost some of the, 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 the instruments on their dashboard or something might have happened in this plane or in this test plane. And so they wanted pilots that are coming in from any direction, no matter how high they are, how much danger they're in, to be able to see which direction they're coming from to get, to get home. I mean, that, that's, that's the heart of our church. Like, that's, that's what this is. This is a compass. Like, this is the compass that God decided, the transforming compass, the family of God that he decided to put in the planet so that people all over the planet that have kind of lost their way and lost their purpose, or maybe their instruments are a little messed up and they're not knowing how to get back home. They don't know Christ. They don't know forgiveness. They don't know how to, how to land what they need to land in life. You know what I mean? They don't know what it's like to have God on the inside of them and be heading towards heaven. God gave us the purpose of being the compass in the planet. You say, why missions? Why, what's our purpose? Not just to be bigger, to be bigger. We're called to be bigger, to help people get better. And so, and so I want to say this. This church has to keep getting bigger. We, keep, we, we have to keep filling seats. Because seats are names and stories and joys. Who've been on their knees praying for family and we have to keep getting bigger. People say to me all the time, well, I just love the size of our church. I don't. Because there's people flying from miles on end trying to find a compass that can help them land their life. And if it's about us, we're comfortable. We're good. But if we're going to get bigger, a bigger compass, that means more services and more, more campuses. And we have to stretch wide the markings on this planet so people can find their way to Jesus. And I think it's only right for us to share the message. The wrong thing is for us not to share the message. The wrong thing is for us to hold on to the message. And our goal is to introduce people to Jesus so their lives are transformed. So we have to stretch wide. We have to make the compass bigger, not to set Guinness books of world records. You know what I'm saying? To be those that can lead the way and carry the mission. I want people to see it. I want people to see a compass and land. You know, do you you remember what it's like to, to be forgiven? And how many people are out there that don't know what it's like to be forgiven or to, that are still carrying the, the shackles of religion? Or the, it was so sad. We went to one church and reached a bunch of kids they had never reached before, a bunch of teens. They didn't want anything to do with the little church. We're handing out candy, high-fiving them, think we're crazy. We get them there. 54 kids show up. They're in the little basement. I don't even know if the house is going to stand. I, I we're up top. <laughs> and, and some of our teams and some of the other team, church teams with us start playing like, some Christian rap music. And the, one of the pastors from that church freaks out, shuts it all down, says it's too worldly. 
And the teenagers are like, see, this is why we don't come here. It's not relevant. Man, how many people are shackled with religion still? It doesn't matter what nation you're from. Shackled with sin. Come on, how many of us get shackled in sin and can't break it off of ourselves? We we, we get shackled with self-loathing and all the different types of things. And God's saying, come on, I need you to become the compass to help people know what it's like to be free and land their life going towards heaven. Albert Einstein was uh, obviously a smart man. Uh, he wasn't a very good student. You guys know the story probably. His teachers just, just said, this, guy, this kid's not going to amount to much. And, uh, you know, everybody learns different, right? I mean, he, he had, a, um, a, a, you know, an aggressive appetite for learning, um, but it was just different. Well, at five years old, the story goes like this. He was sick one day, and he had stayed home sick, and his father came home and gave him a gift, gave him a compass. And uh, he sat in bed as a five-year-old that night and just... And, and he kind of tells and recounts when his dad gave him the compass. His dad didn't explain the compass to him, like just kind of wanting to explore it and figure it out on his own. And he's looking at the compass and looking at the compass. And literally, he said he laid in bed all night, nights on end, up all night long, looking at the compass, trying to figure it out. And like it blew him away. Like he said, literally with, with chills going up and down his spine, he would look at the compass and spin around in bed and try to trick it at five years old. And no matter what he did, the needle always went back to north. He later on made a quote. He said this, that experience, the compass, made a deep and lasting impression on me because something had to be behind hidden things. Something was moving the needle. Literally, it it set him up all night long, the five-year-old Albert Einstein, and the question tortured him, what's moving the needle? What's moving the needle? And that's the question for us. That's the question today for you. That's the question for me. What's moving the needle on the inside of my life? What's moving the needle? What's making me move in the direction? What's hidden behind the hidden things? What's controlling all? What's moving my needle? And if we're Jesus followers, the reality is it's God, it's, it's Jesus, it's his purpose, it's his plan, it's him drawing us towards a heavenward purpose, a heavenward eternity. There's a, there's a reason that we want to, to worship and gather and serve and give and, and preach and teach and love and reach and have campuses because there's a needle called heaven that's being moved by God, always being pulled back towards a heavenward purpose. If we're followers of Christ and it's heaven. It, write this down. It doesn't matter what you're walking through if you know where you're going to. And so if you have something called eternity on the inside of you, if you have something, listen, listen, what's moving the needle for us, all of us know, all of us get it, right? There's something hidden inside of humanity. We all know it in this room. There's something more than having a good job, paying a few bills, consuming a few coffees, saving a little bit of money, and giving it to the next generation. There's something more than that. There's something greater. It's, it's, a, universal, it's a universal feeling. It's called, the, it's called the, there's more, right? Anybody? And so, so if that's the truth, if that's on the inside of all of humanity, we all understand there's something more. Like, like then, then it makes life different for what we're going through. And pain makes sense. And, and letdown and hurt makes sense. And, and loss makes sense. And we can, we can understand that, that what we're going through is okay because we know where we're going to. For me, anyway, sometimes it's easy to get our compass. Come on, you know, our compass can get pulled and... 
certain directions. And, but when we begin to say, well, you know what? I got a compass in my hand and I know it's heavenward. I can, cl- I can climb any mountain, right? Come on, you ever, I-, I, can, I can hike through anything. Like, oh, okay, that's just a mountain. Okay, that's just a setback. Okay, that's just a detour. I've got a compass. I can get through this because I know where I'm going. Does that make sense? But, but, if we, but if we don't know where we're going, hear me, if we decide that our main purpose on this path called life on this planet is, is just, there's no, no real purpose, no real meaning, no, no real heavenward direction, then our whole goal in this thing is just to be comfortable. And we just, we just try to be comfortable on the trail. And we become comfortable campers. How many comfortable campers do we have in here? Come on, don't lie, I'm one of them. Come on, RV campers, anybody? Here's the problem when you become a comfortable camper. You carry too much into the woods. You take more into the woods than you can carry. I I, I mean, I've, I've backpacked and I've camped. Come on, anybody. When you backpack, you're trimming down. You ain't taking too much. Like I went on a Boy Scout camp out with my son. I took my blow up air mattress, queen size. I didn't care. I was sharing a tent with three other scout dads. You should have seen me blowing up. It wasn't a queen size, I exaggerated. It was a full. About this thick. Come on, I had no shame in my game. I'm in the tent. Blowing that thing up. They're like, excuse me. I'm like, scoot over, sucker. I am sleeping on this thing tonight. I am 42 years old and 215 pounds. I don't lay on grapple. <laughs> but, but you know how hard it was to carry that thing? I went, we went camping. It's not camp. It's RV camping. We, I went to a place they had RVs. Yeah, I told y'all the story before. You pull up, they got Weber grills folding down off the side of the RV. They got a drive-in movie theater. They're out there watching a movie. And I'm like, what are you trying to prove that you can be comfy in the woods? This sucks. Stay home. And, and, and the thing for us is we get, if we forget our purpose and our direction and our mission, we, we just settle on trying to be comfortable in the woods. I mean, you're not meant to camp. And then, we, and then we get into a false reality that this is our home. Those RV dudes, that's a fault. That is not your home. <laughs> it's a false reality when we think that earth is our home, when this planet is our final destination. And we begin to make a, what should be a pilgrimage, what should be a hike, what should be trying to summit to some place. We make it this, this camp out. And it's not reality, guys. We don't live here forever. We don't know how long we get, but the reality is like, what's our compass pointing towards? What are we looking for? What are we believing for? Are we going to be the people that fulfill the great commission in our city? Here's the verse, I, Mark 16, 15. And this is just the only verse I have for you today. And really, if you're a Jesus follower, this should be the most important thing in your life right here. Above your marriage, above your children, above your, your own personal health, wealth, and comfort. Here is your mission statement. It's the last thing Jesus gave us. It was the purpose he gave us on the planet. He said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come again. And this is what I want you to do while I'm gone. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's that simple. 
So we as a church, man, I want it to be a place where people can come and feel loved. Or if people are sick, they can be prayed for. If they're hospitalized, they can be cared for. If they're going through need, they can be befriended. If they're, if they're suffering something, they can be loved. If, I mean, this is who we are. We're the compass. Go into every nation. Come on, look at your neighbor. Tap them on the shoulder and say, we got work to do. They're only coming if you invite them. Can I, can I, that's my challenge today. Like, like going into the fall season, like we have three services here. We're believing for campuses. We got empty seats all, all around this place. I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to, but, but they're only coming if we invite them. It, the work of it, Surge, the group that we went with, that we support, that you support monthly. Let me say this. You put, you put your heaven money into to, to this mission that we went on called Surge Church Planning. They've planted 365 churches a year. They've planted 26,000 churches since their inception. Amazing, right? Hear me. They told me when we were there that it would take 5.5 million churches being planted per year just to keep up with the population growth on the planet. 5.5 million churches a year just to keep up with the population growth. Can you look at your other neighbor and say, we got some work to do? And, and they're hungry, guys. People are hungry. They're open to your invite. If this place is going to be full and second service and third service and the second campus in South Knoxville and their compass is going to get bigger and bigger, it's going to be all of us together inviting people. I was getting off the airplane and some dude looked at me and he was talking to another guy and they build the actual uh, airplane causeways that people get on and off of. Young guy, he looked at me, he goes, what do you, I started talking to him, he goes, what do you do for a living in Knoxville? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, oh, that's cool, man. I said, yeah, Transformation Church. Da, 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 da. Told him where it was. I didn't, even, I didn't even think to invite him. I'm going to be honest. I didn't say, hey, you should come join us. I didn't even say that. We're getting our bags in the terminal. He walks up to me. He goes, what was the name of that church again? He goes, and you know, I said, oh, man, Transformation Church. We loved it. Finally, I was like, and I didn't even invite him in. He go, I go, yeah. You know, he, he goes, yeah. I, I said, yeah, we just love, I said, we just love Jesus. We're non-denominational. I said, I dress, can we dress like this on Sunday? He goes, yeah, I looked at how cool you dress, and I thought that'd be a cool church. <laughs> It all matters. It all counts, right? I said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he goes, I think I'm going to bring my family by there sometime. I mean, like he invited himself. I'm the pastor. People are, people are hungry. Like I'm preaching to me today. Come on, I just want to pray. Would you invite people with me? Would we? I'm going to tell you one story. i got two minutes left. Y'all with me? The most impactful story to me of all Cuba, we were at the last place where we were serving these kids and doing these games, and Drew and I invented this game. Remember Bozo, the grand prize winner game? Remember you take risk and you could get more prizes, and I was trying to teach capitalism over there, you know? So like if you... <laughs> You went, we had buckets lined out, and there were six buckets, one, two, three, four, five, six, and there was candy in each bucket. If you hit the first one, you got one piece. Second one, you got two pieces. Third one, three pieces. Fourth one, four, five, six, all the way down. So if they went for the six and took a bigger risk, it was a greater reward. I'm like, capitalism, baby. Greater risk, greater reward. And number six, and so, and so we're trying to, we're, you know, and so, so they're throwing at it. They're missing stuff. There's a line they got to stand behind. There's this one little girl there, and all the kids are getting candy and winning and shoving it in their pockets and taking it and everything, and the boys and all that. And, and, and so finally, it was getting close to in the day and I took bucket number six and I turned it into the grace bucket and so they'd throw and no matter where it went I'd kind of yeah, yeah, and, and I'd catch the thing for them and then when they got done I'd take a big old handful of candy and just plop it into their hands and, 
and put it, they'd put it in their pockets and run off. This one little girl, she was born with a deformity. Her chin was really long and it was like this angionoma on the end of her chin. She was about eight years old. She was very beautiful, beautiful eyes, but very embarrassed. She walked around with it covered like this and she'd have her shirt over it like this and, she, and she'd have one hand over it the whole time and she's trying to interact and, and hang out, but her hand's covered. She's crying at one point upset and, and she doesn't really get along with other kids and it's kind of a weird scenario. You could feel it. She gets in line at the end of the day. I take all the candy in every bucket, everything there is, and I put it in bucket number six. And I hold that bucket up and she tosses and I catch it. And she walks up to me and all the candy's in that bucket. And she's got her thing up and she's hiding her chin. And I'm looking at her and I hold the bucket out. So she'd take the candy. I said, it's all yours. I don't know how to speak Spanish. I was calling the, 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 the time weather. I'm like, tiempo, ocho tiempo. It's like the weather's at eight. You know what I'm saying? I, sound like time. It's an aura. I know, I get it, right? or aura, whatever. <laughs> Somebody help me. She, I try to give her the whole bucket of candy and she like goes to take one piece. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm saying total. I don't even know if that's the word for, for, for all of it. Total. Ta-da. And she's like thinking, I'm like ripping her off and pulling it back. And she's like, no, I'm like, take it all. Finally, she gets it. Her eyes light up. Her hands covered her chin. She takes it down. She takes the whole bucket and she looks with just this huge smile in her eyes. She goes, oh my gosh. And she runs and she starts giving it all away to her friends. And the Holy Spirit just said, there's the gospel. We're, 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 so, we're so concerned about our infirmities and our insecurities and, and, and our, our images and, and, and what we've gone through and what we've been through and we cover. And if we would just take the grace bucket that God's given us and decide to use it to distribute it to humanity out of our weakness and our insecurities and say, you know what? It was the first time that she wasn't able to cover her infirmity with her own hand. The first time she wasn't self-conscious as grace touched her life that she could connect with those around her. That's the gospel. Come on, stand to your feet. Father, thank you for missions. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that it's not just Cuba. It's the nation. It's the world that needs you chaos and pain and people coming in from great distances that need the compass we've got the message we've got you jesus lord help us to let people know what it's like to know you the real you thank you for the grace bucket that you've given all of us god we couldn't have hit the bucket we couldn't have hit the mark but you gave it to us jesus we love you and we just we just we just commit to to being engaged to inviting and to to reaching and love and to be in that compass on this planet. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you just, just one thing, just if you just commit to invite with me. Just, Pastor, I'm going to pray to be an inviting machine. I'm going to join in the mission and vision of this thing. And I'm going to plug up and I'm going to invite and I'm going to get engaged. If that's you, would you just put your hand up to me? Like, I'm, I'm committed with you. I would pray it'd be everybody in here. But, but if not, maybe you're not ready for that. That's okay. But man, I got my hand up. I'm I'm going to invite like never before. I'm going to reach people. I'm going to be the compass. Do you know what missions is? It's the next person you meet. That's missions. <laughs> Father, we thank you and we love you. We thank you and love you. We, we, we'll, we'll be committed to, to invite and to be your compass. Heads bowed, eyes closed. One last second. If you're in here and you'd say, you know what, Jamie? I, I need that compass. I, I've kind of I've lost some direction in my life or I've lost 
uh, north, south, east, and west, or I've been coming in from a high distance, and maybe, maybe you got a, an engine burnt out, maybe something's happened, maybe you've gone through something, and you know that you're not following the compass north of Jesus, that Jesus is the directional arrow of your life, that the pain hasn't made sense, the problems haven't made sense, because you've never let Jesus lead your life. And today's the day to just to say, I need a fresh start with God. I need Jesus. I'm ready to let him be the compass of my life. I'm ready to let him be the leader. No one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. But on three, I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to surrender to him being the compass and the leader of your life, for him to make it make sense, today's your day. One, two, three. Put your hand up to me right now. I need him. Come on. God bless you. I'm ready to surrender. God bless you. I'm ready. Today's the day. Come on. I need him as the compass of my life. I can't do this. I can't lead this on my own. Anybody else? I need him to forgive me, remove guilt, shame, fear, and give me his life and his direction. Father, you see our hands, you see our hearts. Lord, as we put our hands up and every person that raised their hand or every heart that went up right now, Holy Spirit, thank you for invading their heart. We confess, Jesus, that you are God, that you are the Son of God, that you came to this planet, that you died and rose from the dead to give us life and grace, to remove sin and shame, and to give us the heart of God and a relationship with our Father in heaven. Thank you right now as we surrender to you, leading our life and pointing our compass north towards heaven until we see you face to face. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, give God praise in this place. Come on, it's fall season, guys. It's going to be an amazing year.